Hey everyone, Dr. Michael Carey here, and today we're going to continue our discussion on Revelation 12 and 13, where God introduces us to the seven key players of the tribulation. Also, if you missed the last video, be sure to go back and watch it, and while you're at it, make sure to hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you don't miss a single video post. Not to mention, it really helps the channel when you subscribe, and even more, there's something supernatural that happens in our heart when we say and declare to the world that we believe the Word of God and will stand on the side of Bible prophecy. Listen, I've spent my life around the church, and I can tell you that there is a noticeable lack of teaching on Bible prophecy to the point that you can go to many churches for years and never hear a single message about the rapture of the church, the tribulation, or the second coming of Christ. Yet, according to 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed, which means that the book of Revelation needs to be given equal standing with the Gospels and with the epistles. And being that all scripture is God-breathed, all of it was given to teach us how to live in right standing with God, how to live victoriously in life, and how to recognize the seasons and the times that we're living in. And I believe that with the rapid pace that things are changing in this world, that people are looking to answer. They're looking for answers to what the future holds as they're constantly being confronted with uh, extreme political agendas, with economic trouble and skyrocketing inflation, increased violence in our cities, and an ongoing proxy war in Ukraine that's drained our own nation's resources. And if this isn't bad enough, our sense of reality is being challenged as UFO sightings around the world are being reported by news networks, by Congress, by military personnel, and even normal people filming directly from their mobile phones, and it seems that these cubes or tic-tac-shaped objects or these sensational orbs of light are moving across our skies with some sort of purpose and intelligence, and then they disappear in an instant, which raises an entire new level of uncertainty and anxiety about the world that we're living in. We also see every time, all you have to do is watch the news, and you can see that the framework is being built for a one-world government. And the rise of artificial intelligence and a dramatic increase in the popularity of occultic and pagan beliefs. But, you know, none of these things should really come as a surprise to us because Jesus warned us about these things in Luke 21 when he said, Take heed that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs in the heavens." Now, Jesus later refers to these things as the beginning of sorrows, while the prophet Jeremiah describes these signs as the beginning of birth pains, and he saw a day when all mankind would experience incredible anguish as the end times press in on us. 
In other words, the Bible is telling us that the intensity of the trouble and the confusion and the turmoil that we're seeing in our times is only going to increase and become more frequent before the Lord returns. My point being that understanding the book of Revelation is more critical than ever because I don't believe there's ever been a generation that's more saturated in prophetic events than the generation that we're living in right now. And I believe, I believe that the church, I believe that the church needs to tell the world that Jesus is coming again soon. Now, this brings us to our topic at hand. In our last session, we discussed Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. Now, let me read that to you for context uh, concerning what we're going to be talking about today as we continue to move through the passage. Revelation 12, verse 1 through 6 says this, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And we said that there are a few key things to understand if you're going to really see how Revelation 12 and 13 fit into the overall narrative of the tribulation. Now, the first is this. Because God is eternal and because he's infinite, the past, present, and future exist simultaneously from his vantage point, and they create a single story of redemption. Now, the second thing is that Revelation 12 and 13 are a parenthetical insert into the tribulation narrative that explains the seven key spiritual characters and their connection to everything that's going to take place during the tribulation. And in our last session, we took an in-depth look at the woman, the dragon, and the male child. Now, if you miss that, I encourage you, after you watch this video, go back and watch it. But let's pick up in our text, uh, let's pick up our text today in Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, and let's start moving forward through, from there. It says this, And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, notice that this passage opens with a war in heaven between the archangel Michael and his angels against Satan, the great dragon, and his fallen angels. 
And while some people believe that this passage depicts the fall of Lucifer that took place when he initially rebelled against God, I don't actually think it does. I believe that the timing of this passage is given to us through the context of the scripture leading into it. I mean, think about it. Verse 6 tells us that the woman, which represents Israel, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days, which is three and a half years and is clearly talking about the second half of the tribulation when the Antichrist tries to completely destroy the Jewish people, but God supernaturally intervenes. My point being that verse 7 begins with and, and, and a war broke out in heaven, which makes it a continuation of the thought in verse 6, and that conjunction gives us the context as to when this particular angelic war is going to take place. Now, interestingly, the prophet Daniel was shown this event by God almost 600 years before the apostle John saw it. Check this out. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, talking about the Jewish people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation referring to Israel, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, skipping down to verse 4, it says this, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So, according to the Bible, the archangel Michael has been given the task of protecting Israel and is considered a prince among angels. Now, the archangel Michael appears five times in the Bible by name, and in each of these accounts, he's connected to Israel and the Jewish people. In Daniel 10.13, he shows up to confront the demonic principality over the region of Persia uh, in order that the message from God can get through to Daniel. In Daniel 12.1, which we just read, he's referred to as the great prince who stands watch over Israel. In the book of Jude, uh, verse 9, he contends with Satan over the body of Moses. In Revelation 12.7, he wages war against the dragon. And the fifth passage, where the angel Michael appears by name in the Bible, is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, where he appears with the Lord at the resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the church. Now, let me show you something that's really incredible. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says this. Many of you have heard this, but I believe you're going to see something in this passage that you may have never seen before. It says this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, this passage is obviously describing the resurrection of the dead in Christ and the rapture of the church. 
Now, if you remember, according to Ephesians 2.2, the Bible tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, which is a very interesting phrase because it's describing a location, and even more, it's describing the present location of Satan's kingdom and his realm of authority. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6.12 tells us this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the heavens we're talking about here are the first heaven, which is comprised of the atmosphere surrounding the earth, and the second heaven, which refers to the celestial heaven, or what we call outer space. Now we're talking about that place where Satan has established his strongholds over the earth that allow him to rule over mankind, and we're talking about the governmental seat of his kingdom. And you may have never thought about this in conjunction with the rapture of the church, but the events in, in, of, of Thessalonians uh, 4, verse 16, actually represent a massive invasion by God into Satan's kingdom as the righteous dead and those who are alive in Christ are evacuated from the earth before the tribulation begins, and Satan is powerless to stop it. I mean, think about this. There are so many religious traditions concerning the rapture, and, and Hollywood's only added to them, right? That I think we miss the magnitude of what actually is taking place in this passage. Now, you've probably noticed that religious tradition likes to depict the rapture as a you blink and suddenly all the Christians are gone. But that's not what 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 tells us. Take a look at this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. So the Lord Jesus Christ descends from heaven into the air or the very seat of Satan's kingdom with a shout that resounds around the world with the voice of the archangel Michael speaking, and we don't know what he's speaking, and with the sound of the trumpet of God calling the righteous to assemble. And if you believe the scripture, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to recognize that at this exact moment, God has the attention of everyone on earth and every demonic principality and power that are enthroned in high places. Now, next, the passage says this, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So now that God has the world's attention by announcing what's going on with a shout, with the sound of an angelic voice, and with a trumpet, the dead in Christ from all generations begin to come out of their graves and their bodies reconstitute from whatever state they're in as they rise into the air. I mean, this may be like Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, how the bones begin to shake and all of a sudden sinew and then flesh and then skin begin to form on them. And these things are happening as bodies are gathered from all over the world in whatever state they're in. And they they begin reconstituting as they're rising in the air. Then the Bible tells us, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet 
the Lord in the air. Notice that it doesn't say we're jettisoned away with hypersonic speed into heaven. It says that we who are alive will be caught up and together with the dead in Christ, we will meet the Lord in the air. And as this meeting in the air takes place, at some point during this, an event, during this event, in an instant, we're all changed. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51, tells us what happens. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now the literal translation says that death is swallowed up forever or into eternity. And the theological context is that at this moment, the victory that Christ won through his own resurrection from the dead secures absolute victory over the corruption and mortality that became a human reality after the fall of Adam. Now, I don't know how long this meeting in the air is going to take place, but it's going to be an event like nothing that this world has ever seen. And make no mistake, the world is going to watch it happen. Now, I know that what I'm saying goes against religious tradition, but it's right there in the Word of God. And it marks a massive spiritual shift in this world because the catching away of the church is the catalyst leading to the tribulation, setting off a war in the unseen realm where Satan attempts to stop the prophetic promise that all of Israel would be saved, which has to come to pass before the second coming of the Lord and the millennial reign of Christ, which would explain the archangel Michael's presence in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17. Now, let's go back to our main text in Revelation 12, and let's pick it up again in verse 7. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Now, remember the timing. When Israel flees to the wilderness for three and a half years, which is talking about the second half of the tribulation, this particular angelic war for the survival of Israel culminates in Michael's victory over the dragon. Now, continuing in verse 8 and 9, it says this, But they, speaking of Satan and his angels, did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, at this point in the biblical narrative, Satan and his angels are cast down to the earth, meaning that his governmental seat and ruling influence from the second heaven is completely destroyed, forcing him to operate from the earth. Now let's continue in our text and listen closely to what it says because I want to show you something that you may have 
never seen before in this passage. In fact, when I saw it, it was an incredible revelation. Now, picking up in, in, in verse 10, it says this. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser, now look at this, of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even unto death. A lot of biblical scholars believe that this voice in Revelation 12:10 comes from the souls under the altar that we met back in Revelation chapter 6. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Revelation 6, beginning in verse 9, says this. When he, speaking of Jesus Christ, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls, or better translated, the lives, of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed or martyred as they were was completed. Now, remember when Christ opens the first seal, it introduces us to the Antichrist. The second seal fills the earth with war. The third seal brings famine. And the opening of the fourth seal kills one-fourth of the earth's population through increased war, increased famine, plague, and somehow all the wild animals of this earth go crazy and begin attacking people. And by the time you get to the fifth seal, it kind of leaves you hanging until you get to Revelation 12 and make the connection between these two passages and recognize that it's the souls from under the altar in Revelation 6 that are speaking in Revelation 12, verse 10 through 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, it's the same loud voice, right? Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even unto that death. Therefore, now look at this, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. See, heaven rejoices because Satan has been cast down, but the earth is being judged and the earth is now subject to all of Satan's anger and wrath because he knows that he only has a short time left. Now, this feels like a great place to stop for today, but we'll pick up here next time. But let me pray for you before you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you.
the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, God bless, and I look forward to seeing you next time.